Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Wherever you catching up? Well, we've had a fantastic weekend already. Those of you who were there, give us a little wave. You at the workshop yesterday with Joe Gisby. We had a really good time. Um, we've been teaching those who aren't aware of this becoming more naturally supernatural over the last uh, few weeks. And it's really important that we don't just have our teaching going into our heads, but we actually participate and engage with what we're learning. And so the people who came yesterday definitely engaged and activated all they heard from Joe Gisby and got out on the streets and started to pray with strangers. And uh, for some of those people, that was a big deal. It was proper freaky first time for many. And so um, what well everyone who stepped out of their comfort zone. And we're looking forward to seeing more of that as we move on. Let's make sure we're people who really fully believe the supernatural that lives within each side of one, each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And if that's not the message of Christmas, Jesus coming as a baby supernaturally. But we're also in this season of Advent. And the challenge with any season of the year is we can always rush on to the next thing. And I don't know how you're getting on with your chocolates and your Advent calendars. Remember one year my daughter decided to go around and eat all the chocolates in everyone's advent calendar. I thought it was genius. It's genius. The rest of the kids weren't too impressed. But I don't know how your advent's going, but advent is all about pausing. Advent's all about just stopping. When everyone tells us to get busy and get creative and get everything sorted, advent's about remembering we're waiting, the expectation. The moment before a baby is born, there's that longing for something to happen the moment for a big event there's that expectation that waiting for when's this going to happen let's just pause before we just go into talking about Christmas and just reflect can I ask you to do that for two two moments just to kind of stop let's just think about our expectations of Christmas ahead and I've got a few things I want to share with you this morning Father God, in the business of this season of Christmas, may we find times to pause, to reflect, to remember you at the heart of everything we're celebrating. Amen. Amen. I love Christmas. I do really enjoy, I even love Christmas jumpers on other people. They look funny and fantastic. I love all the elements of Christmas, the celebrations, the traditions, apart from the shopping. To be honest with you, I'm convinced God invented the internet just for men like me. Because you can order everything, stick it in a basket, press the button. You can get it pre-wrapped if you want to. What a result. None of that hectic running around town with bags and bags and bags of stuff. But I do love Christmas. And as Christians, I think we should be celebrating Christmas better and bigger and more than anyone else. And I want to say a few things today that may confuse you. Because you may think I'm pulling some stuff apart about Christmas that makes it a bit less of a celebration. But I want to make sure that we, at the heart of what I'm saying today, we remember that Christmas should be a time of great celebration. I don't know what your traditions are in your family. I don't know what you get up to. Um, but each year we have a tradition of our Christmas tree. We, we Normally the first weekend of December, 
we go out and as a family, we go to a place we've been to for many years now in Allington Lane in West End. And it's a garden centre where we go and we choose a Christmas tree that's growing in this field of Christmas trees. And what our children do is they get to stand by the tree that they think is the best tree. At this point, we normally lose our children. And they stand there and the the boys will stand next to the tallest tree because tall is good. And the girls will stand next to the prettiest trees because that's more important. And then Lottie decides what we're actually going to get. Last year, true story, um, Lottie wasn't available that day. And so she was working and I took the kids off and I said, that's fine, we'll get the Christmas tree. Trust me, dear. So we went and got the Christmas tree. We got home with this beautiful tree. Of course, there was three boys and two girls making the decision. So the tree was too tall and it wouldn't fit in our front lounge. I thought, that's fine. I know what to do. I got the saw and I chopped off the top of the tree. I know now. I know. I chopped the top of the tree off and I got our angel. It was a star and I put it over the stump. She'll never know. Lottie walks in, tired from a day of work. The first thing she says about the tree is, you've cut the top of the tree off. Everyone knows if the tree's too tall, you cut the bottom off first. No, everyone doesn't know that. Slowly, I'm learning a few things. Apparently, you meant to cut the bottom of the tree. Now, this is where the story gets brilliant, and this is where Lottie gets embarrassed. This is true. She goes to the bin. She finds the top of the tree. I know. True story. She finds the top of the tree and she gets the top of the tree and she gets that kind of like, you know, those kind of wire green things for using in the garden. She wraps this thing back onto the top of the tree, makes me cut the bottom off. And we've ended up last Christmas, if you'd have come and looked very closely, we had a tree with a slight appendage addition on the top. What a weird family. But it's our sort of tradition. And even this year, we said we might just go get one from a shop this year. It's much easier. And Zach said, no, we've got to go into the the garden centre in West End because that's what we always do. It's our tradition. And I don't know what your traditions are like at Christmas. I don't know if you prefer real trees to fake trees. Let's give a little cheer for real trees. Who prefers a real tree? Thank you. Who prefers a fake tree every time? Nice and tidy and clean. Isn't none of that hoovering up, you miserable lot? I mean, honestly, get it down from the loft, dust it off a little bit, spray it with a Christmas tree smell so everyone thinks it's real. I know you're out with Christmas, but sometimes Christmas can be really fake, like fake Christmas trees. We've got the plastic snow, we've got the reindeer, we've got Father Christmas, people dressing up. We've got all those kind of pretend stories on Facebook when everyone tells how wonderful their Christmas plans are going. We've got the pictures on Instagram of families looking happy, but you know they've just been arguing over the present they received they weren't very happy about. But we smile because that's what we do on our showreel online. Everyone does that. These kind of adverts we see on the television of these perfect families sitting around tables with the fire glowing and everyone in their perfectly matching jumpers and the turkey looks like it should probably drop a hole in the middle of the table and everyone's smiling and no one's stressed about the fact the sprouts aren't ready. And it's lovely and we think, oh, that's how Christmas should be. And we kind of fall for this image of Christmas. We should have these perfect families, perfect pictures, perfect children, perfectly built trampolines with wild animals jumping up and down on it. That one was lost on me. And if you haven't watched the John Lewis advert, don't worry. It'll probably be a better one next year, I'm sure. But of all the TV shows Lossie and I watch each year, um, the, the, the Apprentice is one of our highlights. 
All right. We love The Apprentice Show. It'll make sense in a minute why I'm mentioning The Apprentice. And those of you who've watched the, the great annual edition of uh, Lord Sugar saying you're fired to various pathetic kind of you know, candidates they get every year. It's amazing how terrible these people are. But we enjoy watching it together. But this year I discovered something even better than The Apprentice. Online, on BBC iPlayer, they have The Apprentice in about five minutes. They've cut the whole thing down from an hour to five minutes, which is superb. And then somebody has put honest subtitles underneath. And they put what people are really thinking when they're actually talking to Lord Sugar or what maybe the person they're trying to be, you know, buy something from is really thinking. And it's called The Apprentice with Honest Subtitles. And I kind of was thinking this week, I wonder how that would work with the story of Christmas. So bear with me. We're going to do the Christmas story today and we're going to look at some honest subtitles. Are you ready for this? Now, we're going to do a bit of audience participation. Yeah, look at the enthusiasm in the room. What we're going to do is it's a radical thing for a church. I want you to get your Bibles out or turn them on. I don't mind which we do. You can hold a diary or something if you just want to pretend. Quickly download an app. So, but I do want to say that as we go through this, I, I want a bit of a warning at the beginning. I want just a little bit of a, you know, a public health warning. This may damage some of your enjoyment of Christmas carols. This may damage some of your thinking about what is a real Christmas. Please don't get upset. Please don't be like the parents of Stalham Primary School, who, when a curate asked the primary school children at Stalham Primary School what Christmas was about, they said, Father Christmas. So she corrected them. The parents took to Facebook and said to her things like, my child will never attend your church again. How would she like if we said there was no God? And I've had to tell my children that she was just a liar. So please, if I say some things this morning that are actually true and you think, oh, that's not how I like to see Christmas, please don't get offended. Please don't sue me. Please moan at someone else that's offline rather than online. It's just meant to be a way of looking at Christmas and unpicking some of the things we've allowed to become our reality that I think have protected us from the better reality of what Christmas is all about. So let's unwrap Christmas and let's see some honest subtitles today. So first of all, we want to go for Luke 1.26, the story of Mary. So um, Tim's got the microphone and I'm looking here for someone to read the Bible who is a young female. We'll say young female. Um, so we get a little bit of the gist of Mary. Who's got a... Judith, young... Mm. Let's, let's move it along here. We've got all, all day. Uh, who's there? Oh, Ruth's going to. Thank you, Ruth. You could be our teenage Mary. Boom. Here we go. Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Thank you very much for doing that, Ruth. It's a well-known passage of scripture. We read it every year. If you have children in school, you'll be going to nativities and seeing a girl dressed in a blue outfit with a tea towel on her head. And they will have that moment of Mary and the angel visiting. But honestly, what happened is Mary was from a very poor town, the town of Nazareth. Probably had about 100 people in the village. You know, in the Gospels only mention uh, two times this story of Christmas, both in Matthew and of Luke. But Mary, or the Greek, she was often called Mariah, all right? The Jews would have called her Miriam. She would be only 12 or 13. 12 or 13. She would have been very young. Um, the reason we know that is because when a, a girl was betrothed, um, it was a time of puberty. She just was ready. They would actually then sort of assign often a family friend. She would be 12 or 13. She would have been a virgin and she would have the, the, the worry about what her friends, her neighbours, her family were going to say. This was a real girl in a real poor village being approached by an angel. And she says the words there in scripture, I'm the Lord's servant, may everything you have said about me come true. I think the honest subtitle might be more like this. What's my mum going to say? I mean, come on, let's be honest here. If you are a 12 or 13-year-old girl, you go downstairs and say, Mum, an angel came to see me last night and said I'm going to have a baby. I am pregnant. But it's okay. God's the dad. I'm just being, this is, this is what happened. And we do this little girl with a blue thing and she it's lovely. And Josie, I've got a baby and a plastic doll and everything. Really? This was a real terrified teenage girl having to explain to her family, I'm pregnant. And I think God's the father. That's a tough call. But Mary, who was a woman after God's heart, it says in the Bible, she held these things in her heart. that She, she knew that that was true. She held them close within her. And she must have been an incredibly strong person to be able to carry that, both that baby but also that knowledge and to not be offended and to not to run away from her responsibilities when some, I'm sure some of the comments were made about her. Imagine what it would be like to be a 12 or 13 year old girl pregnant in a small village in a place of Nazareth. So then we get on to the story of Joseph, the unwilling or unwitting uh, partner here. So who's going to read for me Matthew chapter 1? Let's have one of the younger guys. Come on, some of the guys in their 20s. Come on. Anyone else? It's all right, that coffee might get cold. Anyone going to read it for me? Go on, Frank. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
There will be a few more coming. So if you could get yourself ready for your hand to go up, that'd be wonderful. Um, so we're going for Matthew 1, 18 to 25, please. Frank, thank you. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Excellent. Thank you very much. Joseph, probably in his mid to late 20s, he would have been an older man. That was quite typical. You would take your daughter, your 12, 13 daughter, and you'd find a family friend. There'd be somebody in the village you would know of. Obviously not a very big village. And Joseph would have been known to Mary probably for all of her life. And betrothal was an engagement process where it was an agreed marriage. It was just, this is what's going to happen. It could be a year to two years in time where Joseph knew that he was going to marry at that point. And it was partly preparation for the wedding and the feast and partly getting your finance together as a family and for the big celebration. But Joseph finds out this news. Imagine that conversation for a moment. Imagine your teenage betrothed-to-be wife comes and says to you, by the way, I'm pregnant and, and I'm, I'm still a virgin. There's no one else, Joseph. Well, there is, but it's not like that. Imagine that real conversation. Imagine the real story that happens here. This isn't just smiling Joe. This is a nervous young man going, what am I going to do here? How am I going to have this conversation? And it says that the Bible, I think, is really honestly, he was trying to think, how do I quietly break this engagement? Joseph wanted to call things off, but an angel changed his mind. I'm sure an appearance of an angel would have that ability. Joseph was a loyal, wise, courageous man. He must have had to take some terrible things said about him at that moment, where he stood by Mary, the Bible tells us. And uh, we know as well that Mary and Joseph had other children in the future, but also Joseph died young and left Mary with many children to look after. She was you know, a single mum, not just a teenage mum. She went through many things. Now, I wonder whether the honest subtitle of Joseph would be this. How am I going to get out of this one? How am I going to escape this? How am I going to do, how am I going to move on from this? How am I going to remove myself from this relationship with Mary and make a different start to things? He wanted something out. He wanted to get out of the situation. This was a reality, a young man nervous, unsure, but an angel changed his mind. And they ended up traveling, as we know, to Bethlehem. So all your Bibles are ready, those keen volunteers out there. A whole seven verses on the birth of Jesus. Who can do this? Luke chapter 2. I'm not going to specify what age or gender you have to be. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. That'd be great. 
Luke 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. <clears throat> and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Thank you, Thank you Neil. So again, another well-known story. We, we read these stories regularly, and they become part of almost our, our folklore and our tradition of this is Christmas. That's what we read. And then we look closer and realize some other things are going on here. Do you know what? There's no mention of a donkey. Didn't Mary go on a donkey? Not according to the Bible. There is no mention of a donkey. In fact, there's no mention of any animals at all. I think the animals were invented by primary school teachers to give extra parts to children who didn't make the grade of Joseph and Mary. Let's be honest, when my daughter Flo, she made Mary. I was like, Mary, you know, my daughter's Mary. That's the first thing on the list. Oh, your third, third donkey. Yeah, you're kind of at the bottom there somewhere. The animals were added by primary school teachers. I'm convinced of it because it's not in the Bible. It doesn't get mentioned anywhere about donkeys or the, the cattle were lowing is, is a carol. That's not in the Bible. Um, all these kind of things were thrown in there. They become part of our nativity scene, haven't they? They become part of our, there's always a donkey and a few sheep kicking around. Look at the picture there. It's even got geese in that picture. Well known for Bethlehem. I think you'll find the Bethlehem geese. Probably a squirrel or two or something. Norfolk chicken, I think they've got up there as well. It's amazing. Amazing. You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That much we do know. But this whole concept of Mary and Joseph arriving, you know, they didn't book in on Airbnb or lastminute.com or something for this warm, glowing stable. You know, you go to the school plays and you have the manger with the fresh cut straw. I've been inside animal stables before. In fact, when I was younger, I used to be into horse riding. There's a whole other conversation there. But the reason I would get free horse riding is if I had to muck out the stables. And if you muck them out regularly, it's not too bad. If you leave it for a few days, it's really bad, really smelly and pretty grim. Jesus was born, well, we don't know if it's a stable or not. We think it might have been. Why? Because the Bible says he was placed in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. It's where the animals ate from. It wasn't a designed cot. It was just a bit of wood, probably, where they would just shove the grain or the hay for the animals to eat. And Mary placed Jesus there because they had nowhere else to put him. It would have been about a 70-mile journey. would have taken three to four days to get there. It might well have been a cave, or it may have just been a lean-to on the side of an inn. It was a festival season. It was probably not December. I'm sorry. I know some of you are probably going to leave the church over this one. I'll explain a bit more why it wasn't September, why it wasn't December, it was September in a moment. I'm okay with that if you are. I mean, it was really normal. The wraps in um, strips of cloth was really normal. That was a standard thing. In fact, they helped. They thought that it would develop the baby's muscles. That's why they would do it. Um, and, and can I say as well about the birth of Jesus? No crying he made. 
Seriously? I mean, that would worry a parent, wouldn't it? Like, this baby's amazing, just says nothing. Just says nothing all the time. Just smiles, has this like weird little halo thing around his head. It's awkward now to put the baby grow on. I mean, no. Jesus was a real baby. I mean, real baby. I mean, real. I mean, babies are, I mean, how real do you get when babies do things, you know, and, they, and Jesus was no different. This idea that somehow the Son of God appeared inside this perfect baby that never needed a nappy change. I know that kind of messes with our kind of religious spirits, but Jesus was a baby. And with that comes with all the mess and the noise and the disruption of a normal baby. That's what happens when babies come. And those who've had babies, and I see a few in, in the congregation this morning, it kind of wrecks the place a little bit. It's kind of a fun wrecking going on. Jesus would have made noise. Jesus would have made a mess. Jesus would have been a real baby, a normal everyday baby. This is not some kind of pretend plastic doll. This is a frail, human, vulnerable baby. Fully man, fully God. It's amazing what happens at Christmas and how we turn it into a bit of a fairy tale. Part four, the shepherds. Oh, sorry, the, the, here we go. My little, what have I put on this one here? What's my subtitle? Oh, yeah, a last minute special deal, he said. I thought Jesus might be saying, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> oh, no. I thought it was quite good, topical. Anyway, thank you for that one person that clapped. Okay, uh, it's a bit awkward and embarrassing, a bit of a golf clap. Here we go, Luke chapter 2. Let's move on to the shepherds. Um, here we go, Luke chapter 2. We will get someone. Who wants to do Luke chapter 2, shepherds 8 to 20? Thank you very much, Tony. Wonderful. There's only one more reading after this one. Don't worry. The pressure will be off. Thank you, Tony. Luke 2, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 2, 8 to 20. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from, that, from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Great. Thank you, Tony. So what was really happening here? First of all, the shepherds were the lowest members of society. They were the proper, you know, on a minimum wage, they were, the, the, they were seen as the kind of the lowest um, sort of element of society that day. They were, they were the poorest people. They were paid to sleep on the hills with the sheep. And one of the reasons we know that baby Jesus was born more likely September than December was because the sheep in October always taken off the hillside and um, put under cover because it'd be too cold for sheep to live out there. And for the shepherds, their job was to protect them, and they would stay overnight. Literally, they would walk around with them, or they would sleep on the floor with the sheep. Their job was not considered very highly by many people. They would be um, probably, you know, sort of basic people. They would be probably a bit smelling of sheep. They wouldn't be particularly pleasant, um, you know. And so when they turn up, when they turn up at this stable cave location where the manger was, if you've ever given birth to a baby. Imagine your hospital room being filled with smelly bin men just come to have a look. I don't think many mums are that keen for people to turn up unannounced. They don't know them, they stink a bit, and they're actually not the most popular people in our society. Really? This is what was going on. Jesus was born, angels appeared to the lowest members of society, the shepherds. And can I say, Snow on snow on snow. I mean, whoever wrote that never went to Bethlehem, let alone realize what time of year it might have been. But these, the great thing about the shepherds, they were like the gossips of the day. They were connected over the hillsides far and wide. They would pass the message on from one group of shepherds to another. They were like the Facebook kind of status updates of the day. And they would pass the information on. So what was great about the shepherds, when the story was told, they would have passed the information on rapidly across the area. But can you imagine that moment when Mary has just given birth to a baby? She's exhausted. Joseph's a little bit nervous of, what do I do now? And in walk a bunch of shepherds. My subtitle I chose, I think, if I remember it rightly, was, can we put that up there? Who made that smell? Who made that Joseph, get them out of here. Can you imagine these people turning up and invading your space? It was bad enough giving birth inside an animal shelter, let alone having all these strangers appear. No family members no one you'd know, no midwives. You're 13 years old. Your husband's a bit nervous. You've just given birth to a baby. And a bunch of burly shepherds appear. And lastly, we have the three kings. Here we go. Three kings from Matthew 2, 1 to 12. So we're looking for someone. If you're a king, that'd be great. Wise men. Anyone wise men in the house? Wise women? We can, we can cover all age gaps and people here. Wonderful. Can I volunteer? Thank you. Wise man Trevor over here. Wonderful. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was being born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he was dis heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's 
chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you very much, Trevor. Thank you for reading. Appreciate that. So here we go. Honest subtitles of this story. We three kings of Orient are. First line of a song, three mistakes. It's not bad, is it? They weren't three. They weren't kings. They weren't from the Orient. But apart from that, the song's pretty accurate. They weren't, no, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say they were kings. It talks about magi, uh, which means wise person, even magician. It was somebody who was just a thinker, somebody who would have studied, an educated person, and also probably a very wealthy person. To be able to afford to travel with loads of other people with the gifts they provided for the amount of time it would have taken them to find the baby Jesus and then to return, they would have needed a huge amounts of wealth or they would have needed someone to support and sponsor their trip. Um, So magi is plural. Magos is an old Persian word, meaning magician or wise man. So there weren't three. It was three gifts. It was the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Great gifts. Gold because he was going to be a king. Frankincense because of his priesthood. And then the one that would freak out any mum, myrrh, which is something used on a dead body. It's not a great gift, is it? If you turned up at the birth of one of my children and said, here you go, I've got a gravestone already pre-carved. That's not great, is it? It's not the best gift you could have come up with. And these, these wise men followed the star. It would have been, as well, the Bible tells it really clearly there, um, they went to where the child was. He's no longer a baby. And it also says um, in the Bible there, let's get the right place, they entered the house and saw the child. Really sorry, nativity people. There were no camels mentioned. There aren't three kings. They didn't come from Orient R with a taxi or a car or a scooter beeping his hooter. But they were wise. They were wealthy. They traveled probably for two years. So the moment Jesus was born, that the star appeared in the sky. That's why Herod wanted to find out when did the star appear because that was the moment the baby was born. So the moment the baby was born was the moment these thinkers, astrologers, um, you know, people who were looking out to see and learn and understand things beyond their own natural understanding, the star appeared and they go, that was the moment. And they travel and they search and they discover baby Jesus, who by now is at least two years old and living somewhere else. So the disciple, sorry, the disciples, the shepherds and the, the wise men would have never met. Kind of wrecks that whole nativity thing going on, doesn't it? 
We've got donkeys, we've got camels, we've got wise men, we've got... So what was going on there? You know, it doesn't mention... Um, they probably came actually from, from Babylon, uh, Babylonia, Persia, Medes, or Syria. So you're talking about sort of Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Syria, that sort of area. It probably wasn't coming all the way from the far uh, east. But they would have been very wealthy. They were invited into Herod's palace. Herod would not have invited people in unless they were worthy uh, people to be invited in. So these were very wealthy. So on the one hand, you've got the shepherds, the poorest of the day. And on the other hand, you've got these wealthy, wise people. Uneducated and poor, wealthy and wise. The extremes, the bookends of society were met or came to meet Jesus at his birth. So I want to say a couple of things today so we finish off looking at this story of Christmas. I don't want to pull this apart. We go all turn a bit grumpy and go, yeah, see Christmas, bar humbug, it's not real, all the things we talk about. I actually want to unpick some of the things we've started to believe, even as Christians sometimes, that aren't true. Because the real story is better. The real story is better. It's a bit like when you watch a Hollywood movie of a real story. You ever had that? And then you look at the real story and sometimes the real story is better. It's much more exciting. Or I've often watched interviews of people who actually were the, 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 the reason the film was made about that person. And you see that and you go, wow, these are almost more inspirational than the film itself. So, we, so I read this um, uh, article about the real Virgin Mary. And this is a, a lady called Helen Bond who did a presentation on the BBC a couple of years ago. And she says this, uh, For many modern women, the Mary of Christian tradition is at best and irrelevance. At worst, one more reminder of the way in which no woman can live up to the image of perfection. Perpetual virgin, perfect mother, created by centuries of male theologians. What can speak to us, though, is her humanity. Mary shares many women's experiences, her early arranged marriage, her struggle to keep the family together after the death of her husband, her love for her son, her grief at his death. It is the human Mary who reaches across the centuries to women in every age and every culture. You see, the truth is when we repackage the Christmas story into something that looks all fake and nice and pleasant and a, a scene from a, a nativity, we sell the story short. We sugarcoat and we hide the gritty reality. And the reality is better than the packaging we've placed around it. Do you understand me? The Mary was an incredible girl. She was an amazing person to have carried the Son of God, to have stood up and, and, and taken the flack she would have got from the people around her. She wasn't this perfect, glowing specimen of a woman that was never did anything wrong. She was probably stressed and worried. And yes, she would have thought, what am I going to say to my mum? How am I going to explain this to my boyfriend, Joseph, a confused but loyal young man? Jesus was really a baby that did all the things babies do. And he was vulnerable and he was fragile and he was born into a less than ideal maternity ward. The shepherds, the lowest of the low, the uneducated, the poor, the wise men, the wealthy and the educated. These extremes of society is where Jesus came into our earth. Christmas, when we give it honest subtitles, reminds us that Jesus was born into a mess to a frightened teenage mum and a nervous dad with no family members present. More wildlife than midwife watching. And it reminds us that God comes into our mess. 
that he is interested in our everyday activities. He is interested in the things we do wrong and the disappointments that we have in our life. He comes into our place. He is interested in us and what we are, what we stand for. He gets it because he was born into a messed up situation. Christmas is not just a fairy tale story. Christmas really happened. When we make it into a fairy tale, it becomes unattainable. It becomes imaginary. It becomes something of a figment of our imagination. But actually, we, 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 we ruin people's opportunity to engage with the real Jesus when we kind of give the impression it's something of a, a children's story. We take away the gritty reality. When we make our Christmas celebrations a fake reality, it's like we put a wrapping around Christmas. We put a nice layer of wrapping paper around a real present. And I just think people would love to know what's actually going on behind the scenes. I think people would be interested to hear more about this real Jesus that came to earth, landed in our mess, and said, I'm here. I'm Emmanuel. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. In the Bible... There are four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus by four different writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Matthew and Luke take great pains to tell us the Christmas story, but only Matthew and Luke. Mark, often known as the the writer of action, just goes straight in there, Jesus an adult, and gets on with all the action. John does this really kind of strange thing and does everything a bit out of chronological order. But he throws it at us in such a great way, it makes you sit up and listen. The opening of John 1, it says, you know, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was God. And then he says this in John 1, 14. It says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came for the Father, full of grace and truth. Or in the message version, I love this, it says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Moved into the neighborhood. This was the moment of incarnation when God became man, word became flesh. And the word there for flesh I was reading this week is a Latin word called caro, C-A-R-O. From where we get the word carnivore, incarnation, carnival, and carnal. God became a lump of meat. A street circus, a man like every man. This would have shocked the readers at that time. They would have been like, Well, you can't say, you can't compare the word that is God to this flesh, human lump of meat, such in carnal, basic. But that's exactly what happened. The God became flesh at Christmas time. It was not um, some kind of story that we just tell our children. This was a reality of God landing on earth. And, I just, and, and the way that John grabs our attention like a great start to a movie or an opening chapter of a book that pulls you in. You go, I want to know more. I think when we tell people a story that hides the reality, people go, yeah, I've heard this one. But what if we told them a bit of a different punchline? This is, this is gritty. This is Jesus with dirt under his fingernails type of Jesus. This is a man who lived and breathed and walked and had the feelings and went through things that we go through. He was a real baby that was born into a real mess. 
And I want to say today that if you find yourself in a messy situation, a difficult situation, I love the fact, you know, that line from the cow, which I'll, I'll go with this one, descend to us, we pray. In our messed up times, Jesus descends. He comes and walks with us. He doesn't pull us out of our messed up situation. It's all right, I'll rescue you. He goes, no, I'll come and I'll walk alongside you because I know how this works because I've walked this before. I've been here. I've been born to a teenage mum. I understand the pressures of that. I've worked in difficult circumstances. I've met the wealthiest and the wisest people the world has to offer. I've sat with the people who are the poorest and the most uneducated. And I've got love for everyone in between. I'm a God who gets what you're up to. I get where you're at. I understand who you are. Uh, he wants to connect with you because he understands who you are because he was walking on the same earth that we walk on. Let's allow our reality to come out this Christmas. Can I encourage you to do that? To, to allow some of the humanity of the Christmas story to take over. Let's not hide it from our friends and our families. This isn't about criticizing people for their choices they make at Christmas. This is about saying there's more, and it's fantastic. There's a story behind the story. Do you want to hear what really happened at Christmas? There's something about the word becoming flesh, about an incarnation that takes place, that inspires us about a God who cares enough to come and be fully human and live on this earth. Let's get the band up, shall we? Uh, I invite you to stand if you're able to. I want to say, like I said at the beginning, I want to say, church, let's be people that celebrate Christmas bigger and better than anyone else. This is about competing and trying to put on the best show. This is about raw celebration that Jesus came to earth. That this God who made the universe came in the size of a small baby and lived on this earth. To celebrate bigger than ever because every time we put a false impression out there to others, we can hide the real Jesus. Let's reveal Jesus this Christmas time. This morning I was reading a poem recommended to me by a friend by Tennyson called Ring Out Wild Bells. And the first line's fantastic. He says, ring out the false, ring in the true. And I want to say to us, church, let's get rid of the false. Because sometimes we can get so used to the false and the fake and the facade, it becomes what we think is our true and our real. Let's remind ourselves what is real this Christmas time. And let's celebrate and ring in the true. I'm not saying don't enjoy Christmas and be miserable and complain about people eating too many Brussels sprouts or commercialism or visiting Father Christmas at school fairs, go for it, enjoy all that, be brilliant and love all those things. But if we are followers of Jesus Christ today, we should be celebrating more than the world because we've got a real reason to celebrate, not just the fact the shops tell us we should do. God entered our world in our mess. He chose to walk amongst us, to engage with us, to have a relationship with you and with me. It's personal. It's amazing. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.